the big Barbie movie's big lie, and are they about to solve Tupac's murder? This is the Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. I was in a quick trip on Saturday night, and this guy, probably mid-20s, walks in wearing a bright pink shirt and little above-knee tiny shorts. Right behind him, as expected, was his girlfriend, who walks in wearing a bright pink Barbie dress. The two had gone to see the new Barbie movie, obviously, dressed as Barbie and Ken. This was a themed date, and I immediately felt sorry for the guy. I felt like he did not want to be forced to walk into Quick Trip. Like, he was kind of nudged to by his girlfriend because he just wanted to be seen by everybody in their great costumes. And this obviously wasn't his idea. It was something he felt he must go along with to please his lady friend. And this moment reminded me of something that I read in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about the new Barbie movie, which is that Mattel is using the Barbie movie to rebrand Barbie for adults, which clearly seems to be working. Another line from the Wall Street Journal article that stood out to me was from the CEO of Forever 21, who was talking about how their partnership with the film has been a major drive of their recent business sales. And she said, it's been 50 shades of pink around here. Pink appeals to men, women, and them. It appeals to men, women, and them. Might make some men not want to comply with the whole, let's dress up with our date for the Barbie movie idea. I don't know. And yet another thing the Wall Street Journal said about the Barbie movie that piqued my interest anyway, it was, it was a big expose. It said that the Barbie movie is intended to move Barbie to the center of the conversation about feminism. A lot going on with the Barbie movie here. The film also partnered with Microsoft among the other hundred companies that it partnered with to market this film, but it partnered with Microsoft to produce the Barbie Xbox Series X, which Xbox says that they see the collaboration, they called it a collab, they see it as a way to motivate young girls into following their passions and highlight careers in STEM and gaming. We want future Fauci's, future scientists, we want them to, we want them to see Barbie and say, I'd like to be like Dr. Fauci. One more noteworthy thing about the coverage of the Barbie movie, as well as Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer, they're calling it, which they pretend is a naturally emerging organic hashtag and, and theme that the movies took advantage of, wasn't promoted by accounts with over a million followers at all, had nothing to do with any artificial pumping. The news media is very eager to celebrate this weekend as a big comeback weekend for Hollywood, giving the bulk of the credit to the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer and a little, little tidbit of the credit to Mission Impossible. Those are the three movies they mentioned as the big comeback. But is it quite the big weekend for Hollywood that they're making it out to be, that they want us to believe that it was? This from Reuters, they say, Domestic ticket sales for all movies topped $300 million in the U.S. and Canada for just the fourth time in history. Wow. That's a weird statistic. Is it not? I mean, for the fourth time in history, both the U.S. and Canada had total box office sales for all movies, not one, but all, of over $300 million. We did, and they did. Why just the U.S. and Canada? It's a, that's a little weirdly specific, is it not? Why not just the U.S., or why not the U.S. and Canada and India, or, or wherever, or why not globally? Because the numbers in just the U.S. and the numbers globally 
are not historic numbers that can be used for propaganda purposes. And they decided that they were going to propagandize about this weekend and report it as being a historic one for Hollywood with Barbie and Oppenheimer leading the way. Both movies, by the way, that warn us of the dangers of climate change. That's what they tell us anyway in the news, that the the underlying theme of both of them are. And so what they did is they found an obscure statistic to make it sound historic, because by all normal measures, it's not. I have yet to find, and I've looked, the rankings for the biggest box office weekends of all movies in a weekend, of all time, in just the U.S. and Canada, because it's an obscure statistic. Not to mention, weekend box office rankings typically focus on individual films, not all of them together. And yet, look how the obscurity in this statistic can get lost in the reporting on all of this. This this is the Reuters one. This is what seems to be the accurate statement, the weird choice of focusing it on Canada and the U.S. Now look here at Time Magazine, the way this translated to Time Magazine. They reported it as, they reported it like this. When all is settled, it will likely turn out to be the fourth biggest box office weekend of all time, with over 300 million industry-wide. That's it. They don't mention the weird measurement criteria that was used in the original reporting on it. And what's hilarious about it is that the total domestic box office in the United States for this weekend, it was 301 million. You can see the numbers there. And what's hilarious about the total domestic box office in the US, and particularly for this weekend, it was 301 million, right? 301,401,000. And remember, the ones getting the most credit for that number are Barbie, Oppenheimer, and to a lesser extent, Mission Impossible. Those three movies weren't one, two, and three in the box office this weekend. They were one, two, and four. Number three this weekend was Sound of Freedom, which none of the articles talking about how historic this weekend was mention. And Sound of Freedom, and I haven't seen it yet. I don't have an opinion on Sound of Freedom yet. I have not gone to watch it. But it made $20 million this weekend. So if you take away that $20 million, then this weekend, you're just looking at $281 million. I say just, like that's not a lot of money. But without Sound of Freedom, the movie that none of them mention, they don't get that historic, obscure number to lie to people with. So they they had to choose a a really obscure statistic, lie with statistics, and then they also had to rely on the movie that none of them want to talk about, The Sound of Freedom, to propagate that number to us. So don't believe the hype about the popularity of those movies and Hollywood being back because of those two films. All right, next story. There's been an update, another one, on the murder investigation of Tupac Shakur. Some of the details of that warrant that Las Vegas police executed last week have been revealed. The home that police searched was the home of a guy named Dwayne Keith Davis, Keefy D. He was a member of the Crips and one of the four people who was in the car where the gunshots that killed Tupac were fired. He was investigated early on in the investigation. He denied involvement, but later he gave police the details about the case from his, you know, what he says were the details in exchange for a limited non-prosecution agreement. So a little background on Davis. He is also the uncle of a guy named Orlando Anderson, who was also in the car where the shots were fired from and has long been considered a prime suspect in the case. He died, however, a couple of years after Tupac in a gang-related shooting also. Early in the evening on the night of the drive-by, Anderson Tupac, and Tupac had both gone to a Mike Tyson fight separately at the MGM Grand Hotel, and they ran into each other in the hotel lobby afterwards, and apparently Tupac 
went after him, attacked him in a fight. And this was caught on surveillance camera. Some people say that this was the motive for Anderson. However, in 2009, Davis, his uncle, the guy who was whose home was just uh, searched, accepted a plea bargain with the LAPD on drug charges in exchange for information about who shot Tupac. And in a recorded conversation with police, Davis said that P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, Sean Combs, told him personally that he wanted Tupac killed and some other guy as well. And that Davis told him in response that the Crips, that they would do it for a million bucks. And he also said that he was in the front seat of the car where the gunfire came from and that the person who fired the shots from the back seat, the shots that ultimately killed Tupac, was in fact his nephew. And when police asked him if he had spoken to Puffy since the murder, he said no, and that had Diddy only given them half the money, that he would have stayed strong. I guess he wouldn't have sang, is what he's saying there. This is interesting. Check this out. Nine years after he made that admission to police, in exchange for that deal, Davis made the same admission in a Netflix documentary titled Unsolved, the Tupac and Biggie Murders. And then the next year, 2019, <laughs> he published a book titled Compton Street Legends, revealing those same details that he told police a decade earlier, which... He also has a website here. You can see on screen. This is his website for the book, Compton Street Legend. And he has a 52-second marketing video for it, which is a graphic novel with text on it. It doesn't have any voiceover. I'll play it for those watching, and I'll read the, the text for those listening. But it's, it's a graphic novel. It's What a ridiculous thing to do. You see, he comes on. I guess that's him in the suit. It says, Keefy D is my name. It says, Las Vegas, Nevada, September 7. 1996, and it shows uh, what I guess is a graphic novel version of the Tupac uh, fight with his nephew in the hotel. Then he goes, I'm here to tell the story about what truly happened. <laughs> it shows the cars between the occupants of two vehicles. A collision between the streets, entertainment, and crooked cops. Shows them sitting in the car that led to the confrontation with fatal consequences. And then it shows a shows a car with a, not a thought bubble, but it has a, a quotation bubble. It says, Tupac, Tupac, we love you, Tupac. So I guess that's fans yelling at him. Now it shows their car with the four people and changed hip hop. In my life forever. Because it shows him. Fasten your seatbelts. It's my turn. Keefe D's Compton Street Legend. So that was his graphic novel. And you see here, you can, uh, you can book him for speaking gigs. If your organization, school, or business would like to hear firsthand eyewitness accounts of one of the biggest moments in hip-hop history. So he'll come tell you personally and, your, and the children at your school who killed Tupac and his role in the murder because he got that plea deal. So he can talk about it all he wants, apparently. And products here, you can buy the book for $19. I don't know if it's a graphic novel. I, I, I would, you would think it would be a graphic novel. If they're going to have this graphic novel ad, but maybe not. And you look at the media here. And so he's got all of his media appearances on his website. In 2019, Unsolved Murders of Tupac. And then in 2018, two of them in 2018, one of them in 2017. So this guy just goes all over YouTube talking about his role in the murders and who actually killed Tupac. Which is interesting because in 2019, along with publishing that book, he also revealed that or he revealed why he told police what he knew, you know, back in t 2009. And here's what he said. He said, 
They offered to let me go for running a criminal enterprise and numerous alleged murders for the truth about Tupac's and Biggie's murder. They promised they would shred the indictment and stop the grand jury if I helped them out. He then says, I sang because they promised I would not be prosecuted, adding that he thought they were lying about the deal. But they kept their word, he said, and stopped the indictment, tore, the whole, tore up the whole case. Nobody went to jail. So this guy must not have read the fine print about the plea deal, which probably you know, says something like, don't tell the world repeatedly about the plea deal and the details that you told us. Because if you do, we're going to come arrest you. Because it makes police look terrible. If this is true, if he was in the car and his nephew did kill him, and all, all these things can be corroborated, then it makes police look terrible. And if he's going to keep running his mouth about it, how could you, why would you not just shut up about that? I guess maybe he had no other way to make money. Maybe it's like, I'm going to continue to do drug operations or I'm just going to profit off of what I think I'm free about. As a, a murderer can make a plea deal and then just go do a speaking tour to children as he advertised on his website about his involvement in a murder or an accessory to murder. I should say, I shouldn't call him a murderer. He also had an active warrant uh, since July of last year for failure to appear on drug charges. You know, they could have picked him up for any time on that. Maybe there's something more here. Maybe they were monitoring him because of some connection to some bigger operation going on. I, I don't know. I think the real question here, however, is will P Diddy be implicated by anything that they took from his house. So if he's telling the truth about P Diddy, who knows? All we know for sure is this guy's a dumbass. Here's what police took from his house during the search. They took some USB drives, iPhones, iPads, laptops, hard drives, a desktop, bullet cartridges, copy of that book, Compton Street Legends. Could they not just buy one from Amazon? Maybe he made some personal notes in it. That's probably the case. A copy of a Vibe magazine that focused on Tupac, some marijuana, and tubs of photographs. I think some of them undeveloped, if I recall correctly. Do they need all of this? The guy has confessed on two police and on video recordings multiple times. I guess he will say that he was lying to boost his credibility, so they do need to have that hard evidence. And as I said last week, there is no statute of limitations in Nevada. So if this turns out to be true, it seems like the mystery into who killed Tupac Shakur wasn't really a mystery at all. Unless he's still alive. All right, before we get to the next story, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the Drive Time News Blast XR. I'm going to deconstruct a handful of old Edward Bernays video clips where he is talking about the type of propaganda he used to get people to believe him more, which you will see is quite prominent today, and also how he used propaganda to affect mass national level cultural trends. Interesting stuff. He's a creepy guy, but he was also effective at propaganda. So, if you want to get access to that, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. What you will get along with that subscriber only content is you will get this show ad free. I take out all of the ads for subscribers and I'll put it together with the extra content into your own private RSS feed and Patreon that then goes into uh, whatever podcast app that you listen on. That is how I support the show. It's how I support myself. It's how I'm able to continue doing this. If you want to help in another way, which you can also donate via uh, PayPal link that's in the description as well. You can go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, leave a five-star review and a comment that warms my heart, that helps motivate me, helps keep me going. Or And you can allow the ads to play through because if they're not played through, 
we don't get anything from them. So that does help me out as well. And it helps the show out. So thank you guys for that. And you can find me on youtube.com slash Brad Binkley, rumble.com slash the prop report at freedom act radio on Twitter. Propagandafight.com is the website. Now on to the next story. Last week, I pointed out how CNN is reporting on the 2024 election as though the general election is already here and Trump is a candidate. You know, the primaries are over. He won hands down. This is the order coming from the higher ups at CNN. Report on 2024 as though Trump is a GOP candidate. Pay no attention to what any other candidate that you have on the network has to say about anything other than Trump. And I played you the clip of Tapper who was interviewing DeSantis, and the very first question that he asked him was about Trump, not about his campaign or what he's going to do. It was all about Trump, and then he tried to force DeSantis to talk about Trump the rest of the 10-minute interview. This week, we have more of the same. Dana Bash this time, interviewing Mike Pence, State of the Union, right out of the gate, first question, all about Trump. Just like Tapper did with DeSantis, she puts Pence in a position of having to either eliminate himself from contention or defend his opponent, Trump. Here she is, doing to Pence this week what Tapper did to DeSantis last week. Joining me now is GOP candidate and former vice president, Mike Pence. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I want to start by asking about- Thank you, Dana. Good to be on. Thank you. About your former boss. He is facing a potential third indictment over his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. You said, you quote, hope it doesn't come to that and the American people should decide his future at the ballot box. But I just want to be clear. If the Justice Department has evidence that he committed a crime related to January 6th, you do not think he should be charged? Well, look, I, I, I know I did my duty that day under the Constitution. And uh, frankly, as we traveled across New Hampshire this week to uh, 10 events in communities uh, across the state. I, I, I was deeply moved at how many people expressed their appreciation to me for the stand that we took uh, for the Constitution. And I've said many times that the president's words were reckless that day. I had no right to overturn uh, the election. Um, but uh, uh, while his words were reckless, I, based on what I know, I'm not yet convinced that they were criminal. He's not convinced yet that they're criminal. First question. I want to start with, with uh, asking you about, about your former boss, about Trump, forcing him to defend Trump. Can't say anything else there. He can't say that his words are criminal. Not that Pence has a chance anyway, but they do this with every candidate that comes on, except, as I said, Chris Christie, who very happily comes on and makes it all about Trump because that's his job. That's why he's in the race. Now, watch how she keeps forcing it to be all about Trump. No matter what he says, I'd rather that these issues and the judgment about his conduct on January 6th be be left to the American people in the upcoming uh, primaries. And uh, uh, and and I'll leave it at that. Well, part of the reason why people believe uh, that uh, the Justice Department is not being fair is because your former boss is telling them that's the case. I just want to follow up and to say you, you, you're right. I remember you were traveling a lot and you weren't in every meeting uh, that he had. This is what the, the special counsel has been doing, gathering evidence. If that evidence does point to an actual crime, you still think that it's better for the country that he not be indicted and held accountable? 
She just asked him the exact same question. We had whistleblower testimony on Capitol Hill this week that, in all fairness, was largely ignored by much of the national media. Well, no, we, we, had, we, we did that, we but I, I just IRS want to ask agents about this. that were talking about uh, obstructions of, of investigations into the president's family. I'm going to jump it forward here a little bit where she interrupts them. If I'm elected president of the United States, we're not just going to have a new attorney general. We're going to clean house among all the senior leadership at the Justice Department, and we're going to appoint men and women of integrity who will have the confidence of Americans across the political spectrum for their commitment sir, to the rule of law. Sir, I, and I hear what you're saying about that, and I'm sure you are hearing that on the campaign trail. She's like, I hear what you're saying. I don't care what you're going to do. Let's talk about Trump some more. But because you are you, are. you have a, a very unique perspective because your life and the life of your family uh, was at risk that day, which you have talked about uh, very extensively. Um, it, it, you still believe that the former president should be held to a different standard if what you experienced turned out to be based in breaking the law and that is shown through evidence found by the special counsel's investigation. Third time, she's asked the same question. We're four and a half minutes into this interview. I've skipped through a good bit of it because it's her just asking the same thing and him giving the same answer over and over again. I'm going to skip to what she says is her final question on the issue in which she actually plays an audio clip of Trump in her interview here with Pence. Here it is. Last question about this because this is so personal to you. And when I say this, I talk, I'm talking about the potential for violence. Uh, Donald Trump said this week, uh, talked about how his supporters might react if he is charged and faces potential jail time. I think it's a very dangerous thing to mm -hmm. even talk about okay. uh, because we do have a tremendously passionate group of voters, much more passion than they had in 2020 and much more passion than they had in 2016. I think uh, it would be very dangerous. Does that kind of rhetoric worry you? I'm going to skip to the second part of his answer. He says, no, he's not worried about that. And he reiterates that here because I want you to see how she reacts to him. No, I, I have more confidence in the American people than that. I, I hear I hear my former running mate's frustration uh, in his voice. But uh, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, the American people uh, will respond in our movement mm -hmm. in a way that will express uh, as they have every right to. She doesn't care about anything he says. She's just waiting to make this little comment right here. Uh, uh, under the First Amendment to express concerns that they have about what they perceive to be unequal treatment of the law. But I, I don't I'm not concerned about it beyond that. That's pretty remarkable that you're not concerned about it, given the fact that they uh, wanted to, to hang you on on January 6th. I want to move on to the issues that you were talking well, about. Dana, wait, wait a minute. Now there, wait a minute. I, I, I want to say to you, there's, yeah. there's been an effort to take those that perpetrated violence mm -hmm. on January 6th and use a broad brush to describe. So, so yeah, she's, she says that to try and create a divide between, quote, MAGA Trump supporters and Republicans. And he knows that if he, I mean, he doesn't have a chance. I, I mean, he, he maybe he's doing a book deal. I don't know. All of these guys have some sort of psyop you know, angle going on, but he knows that he can't alienate all of those people. But that entire interview, she just she would total disdain anything that he said there. And, and that was almost uh, seven and a half minutes. I think he went to about eight and a half finishing up this point here. First eight, eight and a half minutes of this interview with Mike Pence, all about Trump. Do you think she ever plays any DeSantis clips and asks Pence or any of the other candidates about it or plays any Pence clips when she's interviewing DeSantis and asks some questions about it? No, this is very clear. What CNN 
wants here. They want Trump to be the nominee, and they're doing so under the guise of trying to stop him, just like they did back in 2015, 2016. They're clearly not trying to stop him, not right now anyway. And the argument before would be that, well, they believe that maybe Trump is easier to beat in the general race. Maybe the polls used to show that that was the case, but right now, the polls are showing that this is a newly released Harvard-Harris poll. It was released Friday. It says that Trump would beat Biden in a head-to-head matchup by a margin of 45 to 40 percent with 16 uh, percent of voters undecided. Now, I guess that's 101 percent that that poll had because I think that that equals 101 there. But then you also have that he would beat Harris by a margin of 47 percent to 38 percent. I don't. I think it's obvious that neither one of those two, Biden or Harris, are going to be the Democrat nominee. Who is it going to be? I don't know. Maybe CNN will start to promote the person who they want to be the Democrat nominee because they don't want it to be Joe and they don't want it to be Kamala. But they obviously want the GOP nominee to be Trump. There's no doubt about that. Now, that same poll found that if the 2024 presidential primary were held today, Trump would win with 52% of the voters, with his nearest rival, DeSantis, lagging 40 points behind with just 12%. And CNN has played no small role in helping Trump grow and protect that lead. Again, I thought Trump was going to be the clear winner anyway. CNN is making sure of it. Meanwhile, that Harvard survey also found that 63% of those polled said that the cocaine found at the White House should be probed further and were unsatisfied with the Secret Service's conclusion that identifying the perpetrator was impossible, while 37% of those polled were completely brain dead. And that's where we're going to wrap up the show for today. Thank you guys for listening. Again, if you want to check out that XR content with us, we're going to be dissecting little Bernays. Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.